0: This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, uh, Matthew Fox. He is an internationally acclaimed theologian and spiritual maverick who has spent the last 40 years revolutionizing Christian theology, taking on patriarchal religion, and advocating for a creation-centered spirituality of compassion and justice. He has written over 30 books, including Original Blessing. Uh, Matthew, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today.
1: Thank you. I look forward to our discussion. Uh,
2: Matthew, uh, for the sake of the the people who uh, are not familiar with you and your work, you've had this long and distinguished career um, that continues in an innovative way. Um, And But take us back to to, um, a turning point when um, you were a young priest and um, ran into some difficulties with the the church establishment and um, ended up breaking with the church. Could you tell us what precipitated that, what change in you led to it?
1: Well, I don't think there was such a change in me. I was doing my work, which I was assigned by the Dominican Order, to which I belonged for 34 years before I was expelled by Cardinal Ratzinger, who was the Inquisitor General under Pope John Paul II. John Paul II brought the Inquisition back. They silenced over 106 theologians. I named them. They're from countries all over the world. I was just one of those 106. But... um, uh, my positions that they did not like were listed in uh, a letter from Ratzinger. Uh, the first was that I'm a feminist theologian. I didn't know that was a heresy, but I guess he thinks it is. The second was that I call God Mother. Well, I've proven that all the medieval mystics call God Mother. Even the Bible, on, on occasion, far too rarely, calls God Mother, as in. um, Isaiah 41 or 42 uh, with another objection. I prefer original blessing to original sin. That really got them upset because I learned that the patriarchal Vatican is very, very, very invested in original sin, even though, as I proved in my book and other scholars have proven, uh, Jesus never heard of original sin. No Jews ever heard of original sin. There's a fourth century concept invented by St. Augustine and, um, uh it's not obviously it's not primal to the uh to the teachings of jesus at all and yet it's become uh a, a, a kind of the foundation of western christianity and um and that is really a, a a problem and an issue because original sin uh you know it, it teaches people they don't have a right to be here and they're not born beautiful and all the rest but I think it's been secularized, frankly, by consumer capitalism. That uh, uh, and I think one reason consumerism overtakes us is that we have this bad opinion of ourselves. Other species know they have a right to be here, and they're doing the best they can to be appropriate to their species. So it confuses um, human beings terribly. And it's bad psychology, it's bad sociology, and it's terrible theology. Why is the church running on it? Another objection is that I um, I prefer the four paths of grace spirituality to the original uh, paths: purgation, illumination, and union. Which again are not biblical at all, but um, were created by a third century philosophers Plotinus and Proclus, who never even read the Bible much less knew it. Uh, uh, quite anti-Semitic in their feelings. Uh, what else? um oh, they said I worked too closely with Native Americans. I don't know what that means <laughs> except that i'm very I've been very blessed to be working with Native Americans. Some and of
2: your less illustrious practices. uh predecessors worked very closely in a different way
1: Well, that's true uh yeah, although one good Dominican for de las Casas worked in Latin America, he very much stood up on behalf of of uh indigenous peoples um and uh paid a price for it but he really uh sounded out on how badly they were treated so um yeah those are the objections and another thing is i of course uh, worked with liberation theologians and um this of course was on the vatican's radar as well in shooting down as much of that movement as they could one uh knowledgeable priest told me that Pope John Paul II was responsible for at least 10,000 killings mm-hmm. in South America mm-hmm. because of his position on, against space communities and liberation theology. And I prove in my book The Pope's War how the Vatican and the John Paul II linked up with Ronald Reagan's uh, national security uh, agencies to kill liberation theology in Latin America. It was very mm-hmm. much a political deal. And uh, far right wing head of CIA at the time, uh, far right wing Catholic, um, he made Jim Casey, he made 29 trips to the Vatican with cash, satchels full of cash to give to John Paul II to get his solidarity in exchange for going after the liberation theology in South America. So it's not a pretty story, but wow. this is the times you and I have been living in. Right. And uh, I try to do my. My part to stand up and, and speak truth to power.
0: Uh, Matthew, uh, so. I've known the Dominicans, and there's always been a, among Dominican priests and nuns uh, a lot of camaraderie. Did any of those Dominicans stand up oh. in your defense uh, when they came after you? And uh, uh, under the current Pope, would it be different? And would you ever be interested in being reinstated into the Dominican order, or are you done with them and very happy where you are?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, regarding Pope Francis, he certainly is a breath of fresh air after 34 years of John Paul II and Ratzinger. Mm-hmm. But um, in fact, his, his wonderful encyclical environment, Baodate Si, I'm happy to say was written, 80% of it was written by a student of mine, a um, of priest from Ireland who was a missionary in the Philippines. Don McDonough, he went through my master's program at Hellenes College in Korean spirituality. And he returned to the Philippines and he wrote several books, short books, on spirituality and ecology. And obviously, the Pope saw some of them and he, he plucked them up and took them to Rome to write his encyclicals. So I lived through uh, 34 years of two popes telling, telling me my work was, quote, dangerous and deviant, unquote. And then a third pope was plagiarizing for my work. So I think that <laughs> lived a peaceful life. <laughs>
0: the
1: circle is complete. Um, I'm not pounding on the door of the church to get back in. I, actually, I never signed out. Uh, I just became an Episcopalian because um, the pope fired me and he didn't need my work anymore. And young, young Anglicans from Sheffield, England, were uh, reinventing the mass, the liturgy, using rays. And I thought this was really important, and so I went to the Episcopal Bishop of San Francisco, Bishop Swing, and said, "Hey, I want to join these young people and um, work to reinvent worship using these new art forms of DJ and DJ and and rave and rap and all this." Mm-hmm. And he said, "Go for it!" So that's why I became Episcopalian. But I never signed any papers leaving the Catholic Church, and and, and
0: so you were ne- you were never excommunicated. A well, I was
1: expelled from the Dominican Order, um, uh-huh. officially, uh, under the pressure of um, broadcasting. Now, you asked if Dominicans supported me. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you, the, the Dutch Dominicans went way yeah. out of their way to support me. They made a formal request, the provincial council, to my provincial in Chicago, saying, we want to adopt Matthew Fox. We've been protecting theologians for 700 years. We know how to do it. You guys don't in America. You've never done it. So um, we will, We want him, and we will let him continue his work in California, <clears throat> but be a part of our province. And I went to my provincial with his daughter and said, hey, here's a win-win. You guys don't have to support me anymore and, and fight the Vatican, and the Dutch will, and, and I get to stay as Dominican. And my provincial, who was 10 years younger than me in the order, slammed his fist on the table and said, quote, I don't want you in any province in the world, unquote. Mm. And the rules are that to switch provinces, you need permission of the one you're leaving as well as the ones that's accepting you. So that was the end of that. So in regard to your question, very few American-Dominicans supported me. And if they did, they did it quietly. They never told me about it. (laughs) But uh, I got... Support from Holland for sure and other places around the world mm-hmm. um, uh, supported me, but it wasn't enough to.
2: Matthew, the uh, term uh, that's uh, most.
1: Women Dominicans supported me. Let me say that. Oh, though. good. A lot
2: of women Dominicans
1: have. Mm-hmm. They, they're different from the men, as you probably know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: um, <laughs> 50 years ahead. <laughs>
2: the the ahead. term you're uh, most closely associated with is creation spirituality. Can you, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, define that for us and sure. tell us the significance of it?
1: Sure. <clears throat> well, let me say, first of all, that it was my mentor in Paris who was a french Dominican person, C-H-E-N-U, a uh, very important church historian um, who was very influential at Vatican II he was um, a parietis from his third world bishop, brought him in as his parietis or coach, kind of theological coach. And he was more responsible for the most radical decree, the church in the modern world, than than any other theologian. And he's the one who named the creation of spiritual tradition for me when I was in class with him at the Institute Catholique in Paris, 1968. And... Um, he pointed out there are two traditions in, uh, in, in Christianity. The fall redemption tradition begins with the fall and um, so of redemption. And then this creation spiritual tradition, which is older, is the oldest tradition in the Bible. Uh, the J source in the Hebrew Bible is creation centered. It's also the tradition of the prophets and certainly of the wisdom tradition in Israel. And all scholars today agree that the historical Jesus comes from the wisdom tradition. So this is a tradition of Jesus, who who found um, God in all of nature, not just in a book. And um, that's the basis of pre-spirituality, creation, nature, uh, existence, the universe, the cosmos. This is sacred in itself, and that's where spirituality really begins. So clearly, pre-spirituality has a, a dimension to it that's, that's bigger than any religion, because all religions are are grounded in some way in the, in the earth and in uh, existence and in the cosmos. So, uh, as I say, there's no such thing as a Roman Catholic rainforest and a Buddhist ocean and a Lutheran sun and a Baptist moon. So once religion resets itself in the context of nature and creation, uh, it, it learns a little humility. And um, the great mystics of the West that I've been recovering, like Hildegard being in, Thomas Aquinas, Meister Eckhart, Julian Norwich, Nicholas Cusa, and, of course, Francis of Assisi, all of these were, na- were creation-centered. Uh, they did not begin with sin. They began with the, the, the grace that creation is, as Meister Eckhart says, nature is grace. And, of course, Augustine would never say that. Augustine was profoundly dualistic, and uh, he said uh, spirit is whatever is not matter. Mm. Whereas Aquinas says... Spirit is a life, a vitality in everything, a weight of grass, a horse, a tree. Uh, so Aquinas was fighting Augustine's dualism, and Eckhart was, and Hildebrand was, and um, all these creation mystics were. And of course, it's also feminist, because in the Bible, again, a wisdom is feminine, as she is around the world. And it's about the quest for wisdom, not just knowledge. So it, it includes a cosmos. It includes a psyche's relationship to the cosmos. So creation spirituality has been a, a minority voice, you might say, since the church married the empire in the fourth century and Augustine developed his, his theology of dualism and hatred of the body and fear of women and original sin. all that is contrary to creation spirituality. As one um, <clears throat> church historian years ago said that um that Augustine has been a, a lightning rod for right-wing movements for 1,600 years. Yes, uh, all fundamentalism is really based on Augustine, not on Jesus' teachings, and not on the wisdom tradition of the Bible. And they're very they're very short-changed when it comes to the press for justice. And, um, and certainly they have very little say about eco-justice today. In fact, they're part of the, the, the denial army. Uh, denying uh, climate change and everything else mm-hmm. because they and they render religion so introverted. And so, am I saved? As Christopher a the great Lutheran theologian, said, biblical scholar, he said, it's an erotic question. Am I saved? It's not in the Bible any place.
0: It's an erotic question. Mm-hmm. And that's
1: for a lot of right wing Christianity uh, it has its starting point. Interesting.
0: Uh, Matthew, one thing I read about you, I wanted to ask how. When I was a kid growing up Catholic, I was often very bored at uh, Catholic mass. And and then I read about your techno cosmic (laughs) mass and I thought, I really missed the boat. Uh, Can I get back on? Can can you tell us about that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well, like I said, that that was, it began in in England with these young Anglicans. And it was interesting. uh, Sheffield, England is kind of Youngstown, Ohio of England. It's Mm -hmm. kind of the capital of the Rust Belt. When all that was collapsing, um, in the 80s, um, there, there was a lot of unemployment, of course. And when there's a lot of unemployment, there's a lot of alcoholism and, and abuse of children. So a lot of these young people were kicked out of their houses by their alcoholic fathers who were unemployed because of the collapse of the steel industry. And um, so they gathered together and rave was happening and they would meet regularly and to dance together and kind of create a community that way um, a rave community. And then one of them who was quite bright said, well, this seems a lot like religion to me. Let me go to the local pastor. So he went to an Anglican church and said <laughs> to the rector, Hey, uh, can we bring our, our, our celebrations to the church, to, make, to liturgy? And I said, Oh, great. Do it. So they did. And they were there like six months. And, um, then the pastor came in one day and said, uh, you have to leave now. And they said, why? He said, I'm getting too many complaints that there are too many young people in church. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the last time that sentence has been uttered <laughs>
0: Exactly.
1: in the last ever. So they left the church and they found a, a secular building downtown, a round building, and they had their masses. They called it the planetary mass. They had them there every week. And, you know, 600, 800 people would come. And they had this strong community of three or 400 young people who are putting it on every time and they're really creating community. Well, make a long story short, they, they visited me in, in America at a conference I was doing. About six of them did. Gave me their story with a lot of newspaper clippings. And I was I just finished my book on the reinvention of work. Last chapter was on reinventing ritual. And the principles are laid down there, like bringing the body back and all this. These guys are doing. So I was excited. So I flew to Sheffield and checked it out. And then I said, how can I help you guys? And they said, well, if you're becoming an Episcopal priest, you could run interference because you get what we're doing. We're using your Cosmic Christ theology anyway. So I thought about it. It was just the time that the Pope had fired me. So that's when I went to Bishop Swing and said, I want to do this work with young people to read worship. So the cosmic mass is um, uh, it it employs uh, VJs and DJs. It's dancing our prayers more than it is sitting and during somebody to keep us awake. We've done over a hundred of these. Uh, we did one at Sounds Jew Festival two years ago for a thousand people from all traditions. There were rabbis there and Hindus and Jews and atheists. One atheist came up afterwards and said that her whole life was changed by that experience. Mm-hmm. Wow. She said, I'm such a fierce atheist. When I walked on the, the street and there was a church there, she said, I crossed the street. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to pass the church wow. directly. She said she pointed out her heart and said, Something happened to me during the grieving. And she pointed her heart and said, By uh, well, the time communion came along, and I had to have some. She said, My hmm. whole life has is changed. It? So it's been a very powerful ride doing this. And we have an invitation now to do one in February at the Washington Cathedral, the wow. Cathedral in Washington, D.C. Fantastic. So we're excited about that. It will be kind of a more
2: well, visible.
1: Presence.
2: I'll have to get on your mailing list and uh, try to get to one one of these days.
1: <clears throat> Great. What part of the country do you live in?
2: I'm
0: in Los Where Angeles, and I, I'm in oh, Iowa. Los
2: Angeles. Okay.
0: <clears throat> oh, Iowa. You've heard of it. Well, what is, which is <laughs> it? Iowa or Los Angeles? No, it lives in Los <laughs> Angeles, and I'm in Iowa. We're. Um...
1: I say, okay, we got two people out. I yeah. get you okay. Duality. Yeah.
2: Um <laughs> I, I can recommend out. some places in LA, so uh that would Good. I'd love a well, But we do did where Agape was. Oh you in, did. In that LA. would be one of my recommendations, right.
1: right. Yeah. Um, sorry. Well, we I we should do that. another one. Maybe we should do another one. We did it at one of their, their annual conferences. There's yeah, a yeah, big yeah. Big hotel. But it was jointly sponsored. It was powerful. Afterwards a young African American came up, I think he said he was twenty seven, he said this would be worth committing one's life to, he said.
2: Mm. And wow. it's was a
1: beautiful uh, statement. And I, I, I failed to get his phone number. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. uh, well, that was years ago. Um,
2: uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to come to one one day. Um, Matthew, yeah. you're in the uh, description of uh, creation spirituality I'm reading, one of the uh, principles you list mentions the term panentheism. Uh-huh. We've had, we have had someone recently talking about pantheism, um, oh. and we didn't make that distinction, but we'd love uh-huh. to hear what you have to say and how does that fit into the um, sort of Western traditions and Christianity yeah. specifically.
1: Right. Well, um, pantheism is two Greek words. Everything is God. God is everything panentheism slips in the third Greek word that says in. So it is saying everything is in God, and God is in everything. So it allows for the transcendence of divinity. So it doesn't say that God is limited to what is, but God is present in what is, and what is is present in divinity. So panentheism is actually very orthodox, um, although most, um, uh, the majority, I'd say, of of um, of Christian dogmatists don't know about it because it's a mystical way of seeing the world. But divinity is in all things. And, and really, Jesus is saying that when he says the kingdom or kingdom of God is uh, is among you and within you. Um, it's also present in many places in the scriptures, like in the book of Acts, that God is the one in whom we all live, move, and have our being. So like atheism, uh, uh, panentheism, and like pantheism, panentheism rejects theism, that is to say, theism says, we're here and God's up there someplace. The prayer is about getting God to come down here. We say, no, divinity is already here, which is what Jesus is saying. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is among you. He's already here. We've got to get out of the way. That's what Eckhart says. He says, God is at home. Uh, we're out for a walk. <laughs> We've gone out for a walk. So we have to return home. And that's... Um, Mm-hmm. at the heart of it but it's about our a mystical experience now a 13th century um mystic Hild, uh mechilda de who was a beguine a member of the women's movement of the middle ages she said the day of my spiritual awakening was the day i saw and knew i saw all things in god and god in all things mm-hmm. that's panentheism
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's this <laughs> present it's certainly present in those images from john's gospel about christ being in the vine and and uh in the father and the father and us in and the vine and so, forth. so it's all kind of images in the scripture about it but i think it really helps to name it as you say it's not just theism it's not pantheism and it's not atheism it's panentheism and they can't burn you at the stake for it that's really cool
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh matthew uh, uh growing up catholic uh And going to seminary, becoming a priest, that's a huge commitment and uh, probably a lot of decisions along the way. And and obviously you're very progressive and you were thinking beyond the the doctrine of the church. Uh, Were you always like that and were there mentors, were there priests, nuns, uh, religious people, non-religious people that had a big influence in you as you were growing up and as you were in your early days becoming a priest?
1: when I was a junior in high school, between my junior and senior year, I read um, told stories War and Peace. Mm-hmm. And I told a friend it blew my soul wide open, and it did. And um, I wanted to explore what happened to me. Now, of course, I've languished for it. It was a mystical experience. All I knew at the time was it blew my soul wide uh-huh. open, and I wanted to explore it. And that was really a lot to do with my becoming a Dominican. I was on a search to find out what a spiritual experience is and, and what it's all about. Uh, now I attended a public high school my closest friends were Protestant or atheist or Jewish. And we would have these regular debates about life and philosophy. And then I'd go to my parish priest who was a Dominican and he would have me reading GK Chesterton or Thomas Aquinas or something like that. The intellectual side to faith meant a lot to me from an early age. And that's one more reason I was attracted to the Dominicans. Um, but, um, uh, that uh so so that was a big part my family was very open-minded especially my mother my and um and they tried to expose us to many different uh kinds of people and and religions and uh, that was part of my background and uh my brothers and sisters i was one of seven children were very inquisitive my older brother was scientist really and and two older brothers and that influenced me and um also I lost my legs when I was 12 I had polio and they couldn't tell me if I'd walk again so when my legs came back after about a year I felt great gratitude to the universe and I said this I said I'll never take my legs for granted again and I think in retrospect that's a very mystical statement that Mm -hmm. you know mysticism is about not taking our breath for granted you know and that everything is sacred mm-hmm. and is is uh, is a gift, and so I think that was part of my background too but um you know i've been blessed by many teachers over the years, again, Paris Cheneau was the most important Thomas Merton, I wrote him when i when the Dominicans said I could go on to study spirituality in europe they didn 't know where I should go, so I wrote Merton he said, "Go to Paris," and he wrote me a, a very powerful letter back, a very rich letter and um so he was certainly an influence on me. I'd read his autobiography when I was uh, in high school and I was moved, especially by the contemplative dimension to it. So um so all these writers were, were always important to me and um uh, uh yeah, they've always and even to this day, of course, I am moved by a lot of scholars who, who move me and of course scientists. If you can't talk about nature and creation without no, reading what scientists have to say, so I've been blessed to be able to work with a number of scientists over the years, too. Rupert Sheldrake, Brian Swim, Thomas Berry, mm. and others. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and they, they've been discovering a whole new cosmology, which is of tremendous importance to all of us, whether we know it or not. Yeah. <laughs> to learn the universe is two trillion galaxies big, which we learned a year and a half ago.
2: And I'm you glad you to mentioned it. <laughs> yeah I'm glad you mentioned Merton. so many of our interviewees uh his name keeps coming up, so i'm oh. I'm hoping people will uh, rediscover him if or discover him anew if they haven't um one of the other terms in in the literature about you is is one I've heard from used by people in different traditions. It's the cosmic Christ. What do you, what does that mean in in your terms, and how is it different from the the person who we associate with the term uh-huh. Christ? Well, I see um,
1: a healthy Christianity flying on two wings: the wing of the historical Jesus, who, as you say, is the person who lived and taught and got killed by the empire and and some bad religious leaders in big with the empire. And then the cosmic Christ is the um, is the, the tradition of the image of God, the light of God that's in all beings, as John 1 says, the light that's in all beings. Now science says that photons or light waves are in every atom in the universe. So that's something very parallel. So uh, it's also in, in, in the East, it's the Buddha nature. So it's the presence of the divine in all beings. And... Um, that tradition is, some people say, oh, it's so new age. No, it goes back to Paul, the first writer in the Bible, the Christian Bible. Also, the Gospel of Thomas, which is mm-hmm. as old as Paul. They both have the idea of the cosmic Christ, like in the Gospel of Thomas, it says, split the wood and I am there, or lift up the rock and I am there. All those I am sayings that we have in John's Gospel, too. These are cosmic Christ sayings. But really... Um, all the great events in the life of the historical Jesus are pictured in the gospels, uh, in a cosmic context, for example, the nativity, you know, so the, the scholars will say, well, you know, these birth stories and all this, this is not history. No, it's not, but it's mythology. It's huge stories about the cosmos itself. So you've got it at Christmas, you've got the uh, four legged ones. You've got the ox in the manger, You've got angels, they're always cosmic beings. You've got shepherds who are living with sheep. And and uh, the whole scene is a cosmic scene. The same is true with Jesus' baptism. The sky opens up, well, that's kind of cosmic. And there's a, a voice, uh, this is my beloved. You have it at the Transfiguration, <laughs> when Jesus goes to the top of the mountain with of his friends. And, and they see him as radiant. They see this light coming out of him. That's the cosmic crisis in all of us. So that's the teaching of the cosmic of Christ, that it's in all beings, um, and and it's divine in all beings, and it's also the the, the universe itself, like Paul says in Colossians, that everything in the heavens and on the earth, uh, Christ is holding them together, everything in heaven, everything on earth. Now, you mentioned Thomas Merton, you know, he had this mystical experience one day during lunchtime in downtown Louisville, and the next day he wrote in his journal, how do you tell everyone they're walking around shining like the sun, as you will. Well, that's the cosmic Christ that he saw, and many mystics see this at times, the, the light coming out of all beings. That's the Christ in all of us, or the Buddha nature, if you prefer, or if you're Jewish, the image of God in
0: all beings,
1: not just in humans, but in all beings. So that's
0: the tradition. Right. Uh, Matthew, one last question for me, and that is, uh, what advice do you give to somebody who's out there who's a Catholic or a Christian, or maybe even not a Christian, uh, that's uh, listening to you and and not finding the fulfillment they would like to be following in <clears throat> their religious beliefs or or their traditions or uh, they might even be atheists uh, what advice what what do you recommend to them to find that uh that that deeper meaning in life and, and that more cosmic religion
1: well you know um Albert Einstein said that we're moving into the third stage of religion. He said the third stage of religion will be a cosmic religion. And he said this will unite all religions and it's the one path to peace on the earth and it will supersede all nationalism and all tribalism. And of course, he wrote this in the the wake of the Holocaust and the Second World War and all the rest. And he felt that religion, the church, both Protestant and Catholic, had really failed to stand up to Hitler uh, in any big way, of course, individuals like Bonhoeffer and, and so forth stood up, but uh, uh, Pope Pius XII was pretty closed mouthed most of the time, etc., etc. So he was pretty pissed, as a, I think he was uh-huh. right to be, about the failures of religion in the 20th century. Um, so, um, but I think it's interesting though, a man of his depth and, um, and uh, intelligence. Uh, was looking at the history of religion and said the next stage is a cosmic religion. So this, too, is where the cosmic Christ comes in. So what I would advise people is to begin where Rabbi Heschel begins. To begin with awe and wonder. What what fills you with awe? What fills you with wonder? That's the first stage. That's mm-hmm. what the mystics call the via positiva. That's the first step of a mystical life. And then you want to you fill yourself up with that. Uh, because the next phase of via negativa um, is about silence, and that's a good thing. Awe, in fact, leads to silence. So meditation or stealing the, the monkey mind or the, the reptilian brain, calming the reptilian brain, that's very important. But another side of via negativa is, of course, suffering. So suffering also breaks us open, and it, it leads to the, a cosmic experience. Because when your heartbreak, the whole universe breaks for you and and joanna mason the buddhist says that when your heart breaks the whole universe can pour through so heartbreak is another path to divinity or to spirit uh even despair a lot of people in despair today given the state of the world and the the state of the earth and the state of of our our country um but despair itself can also open us up uh father b Griffiths, a wonderful Christian monk who lived in India over 50 years, he says many people do not experience God or spirit until uh, they're going to despair. For example, a lot of people in AA and so forth, they've undergone this kind of breakdown that opens their soul up to something deeper. So pay attention to that, to the darkness in oneself. Don't take a pill when you're feeling depressed. The mystics have a word for that. It's called the darkness of the soul. Explore it. Ask what it has to teach you, and why we're experiencing this this group dark night today as a species, which I think we are. Then the third path of spirituality is creativity, the via creativa. And that's, many people will talk about how they feel um, carried along by spirit when they're in a creative state. And you have to to pay attention to that. Give it attention. Give it your time. It's very important. Yes, you are being carried along by the spirit. Thomas Aquinas says that, The same spirit that hovered over creation at the beginning uh, hovers over the mind of the artist at work. So creativity is still going on. We're co-creating the spirit. Then the fourth path uh, or experience of the spiritual journey is the real transformative, uh, compassion and justice. So our work for justice, for equal justice, for example, today, for any kind of justice, standing up to to power, uh, speaking truth to power uh, and paying the price, this is also an experience of the divine because in our tradition, justice is God. God is compassion. So, and and we're not alone. Uh, the Dalai Lama says we can do away with all religion, but we can't do away with compassion. Compassion is my religion. So that the work we do on behalf of compassion and justice—that is—is um, is working with the, the divine forces as well. So I think. People have these experiences. We call them the four paths of spirituality. They have these experiences uh, when they go deep, and so they should be named for what they are. And um, whether you attach the word "God" to it, the word "God" of course has a lot carries a lot of baggage with it. I mean, the whole right wing has been exploiting this word and defaming it for for decades in our country. And so, you know, we have to step away. Mike Eckhart, the great mystic, says. Um, I pray God to rid me of God. It's a wonderful yeah. line. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that puts me in a room with a lot of atheists. Yeah. Well, I'm happy with that. <laughs>
2: <Very> good. <clears throat> um, we really appreciate your coming on. We don't have much time. I want to call people's attention to the uh, Fox Institute for Creation Spirituality, which um, they can learn about online. And I was going to ask you <clears throat> to really briefly, because we have to leave, um, to define the order of the sacred earth.
1: Oh, yeah, this is uh, my most recent project. I'm working with two young people, a 28 year old woman, a 33 year old man. Um, and we're starting a new order called the order of the sacred earth that will not belong to any particular religious tradition, but it will not turn us back on it. We, we hope people will join from um, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, the goddess religion, native religions, whatever, Islam, and join us because it's about taking a vow, one vow we'd all take, and that is I promise to be the best lover of Mother Earth, and the best defender of Mother Earth that I can be. That's the one vow that will bind us together. We're having our first vows on, on winter solstice, December 21st, at a Buddhist center, um, Sacred Spring in Berkeley. And they could go online and learn more about this. Uh, it's going to be live streamed so they could do it, participate from other parts of the country. And we put out a book. Oh, It's not formally. out. The formal book comes out in the spring, but we put out a first version at this time that you can get for our organization. But I think it's time, you know, but time's running out for our species. We don't have time for a new religion or for a new church. But for an order, yes, orders are much more flexible than religions. And this is the first order, perhaps, is this consciously uh ecumenical deeply ecumenical you don't have to go into any religion atheists are welcome to if you agree on this vow and the and the values involved in it so we hope that this will be a community and a movement that charges people and gathers people and what i call intergenerational wisdom that's needed today so i'm an old guy I'm in my 70s these people are young in their 20s and 30s let's start working together and bring the wisdom alive and the action that has to flow from it. So that's what the Order of the Sacred Earth is about.
2: Great. And, we'll um, make right. sure we post this before December 21st. Right.
1: Terrific. Please do. Please okay. do. Thank, thank you. Thank
0: you so much. Yeah. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. Uh, fascinating. And, and I really look thank forward you. I'm going to when I find myself to one of these techno-cosmic masses because I've been through all the other masses. Terrific. And uh, this sounds like one I'd, I'd really enjoy. So thank you so much.
2: Uh, I'm going to get you to L.A. So uh, thank you very much. It's been an honor to talk to you, and I hope our path
1: grows in person. I enjoyed your good questions, and I'm glad you have a program
0: like this. These great. programs are, are important. All thank the best. Up. All the best. I know.